0: Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? This is Dennis Peterson, and thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy. Have you ever noticed the strong words God has for those who deliberately practice evil? They're sometimes referred to as evildoers in the Bible. Because we often tend to look at Scripture in a more personal application, we can miss the fact that God's word of condemnation often refers to the concerted efforts of organized evildoers. Likewise, it's important for us to realize that our Heavenly Father is working in us, corporately, as his body, to unitedly pray and work together to destroy the works of our enemy, the devil. With that in mind, here's some of what God says about these enemy workers of iniquity. Evildoers shall be cut off, it says in Psalm 37:9, destroyed, eliminated, wiped out. Psalm 37, 2 says, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. God is completely righteous, holy, good, and uncontaminated by evil of any kind. That's why Psalm 97, 2 tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He's talking about the basis for all of his authority and dominion. It's all based on that which is right and just. The implication couldn't be clearer. If righteousness and justice are preeminent with God, that means that wrongdoing and injustice are the object of God's absolute hatred. How should we respond to that? One of my favorite confessions in prayer to God is Psalm 139, 23-24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The verses just before that Declare from our perspective as his servants, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. That's Psalm 139, 21 to 22. That sure clarifies why our key verse today is so timely, doesn't it? Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? God's justice by nature makes it impossible for him to overlook or ignore wickedness. How are we to think about such wickedness that is perpetrated on those who are the object of his grace, those who have received his redemption by faith in his forgiveness and love? Psalm 101, verse 8 declares, Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. In all of human history... Can you think of any wicked ruler has not been eventually brought to judgment and justice? You mean God didn't have to wait until a final judgment in the future? Paul teaches in Ephesians 5 about what it means to be an imitator of God in words and actions. He clearly tells that because of the evil actions of evil men, God's wrath will surely come upon disobedient evildoers. Paul continues saying that we prove what is pleasing to the Lord. We must be deliberate about refusing to participate in any of the deeds done by those who serve the powers of darkness. Instead, we're commanded to even expose them. What? You mean to say that those who are called salt and light have the God-ordained command to bring attention to the deeds of darkness by shining on those deeds and exposing them? I don't think that we've been told here to go around as busybodies trying to make public all the dirty laundry of every individual sinner. But when you learn anything about the wholesale evil that has been going on behind the public scenes of society today, you can't miss the application of God's call for His people in this evil time. Remember what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.12. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Ephesians 5.13 reveals that all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. And then he goes on in Ephesians 5.14-16 saying, Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. A lot more people today are now much more aware of just how evil our days really are. And the recent past, with all the exposure of corruption, is helping everyone see that desperately tyrannical actions being perpetrated by powerful people in high places all over the world. So, lots of good, law-abiding, even peace-loving and God-fearing people are asking, must people who love righteousness and humble submission to God obey and comply with all the unjust and senseless demands of ungodly government? What does the Bible really tell us about submission to government? Our dear friend, evangelist Mario Murillo, posted a timely blog on February 11, 2021. He gives us insight that energizes god's people for the many challenges that we all face in this evil day it's now becoming clear for many people that america's democratic party and many compromisers with iniquity in the republican party have declared war on the american people but they've also exposed a much greater evil they revealed that the war is much bigger globally bigger than most americans would ever have imagined They're demanding unconditional surrender not only from the church but from innocent citizens. This war we are in compels believers to look closer at what the Bible says about powerful demonic forces influencing our country's laws and leaders. When God's prophets in the Bible declare, without any ambiguity, that God pronounces woe, destruction, and condemnation on those who replace good behavior with outright evil behavior, Do you think that should help us determine who is an enemy of Christ's kingdom and thus an enemy of his ecclesia? If a nation develops a public policy of lying to its people and preventing them from knowing truths and facts that would absolutely preserve them from harm and destruction, would you say that that nation is no longer filling its God-instituted job of protecting innocent people? But somebody will ask you, Doesn't the Bible tell us to obey governing authorities no matter what? Absolutely not. And it's shocking how many believers don't know their Bible or have been given false teaching about it. There's no verse in the Bible that tells you to obey evil government or lawless laws that are in opposition to God's laws regarding right and wrong. If we who call ourselves Christian don't seriously consider our reaction to this now, we will sit back and let our nation be destroyed. Christians during the American Revolution understood that the Bible doesn't teach us to obey evil laws or leaders. There would be no America if Christian colonists believed that they would obey the evil laws of England. Benjamin Franklin was a vocal proponent of making a national motto of the popular saying back then, resistance or rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Would you like to know beyond any doubt that the Bible tells us what we must do in the face of wicked government and laws? There's a pathetic heresy that has crept into the thinking of many believers in the modern, watered-down, milked-toast church that is all too commonly accepted as a pattern of acceptable behavior. It's a widespread excuse for submitting to outright treasonous edicts when we should courageously disobey them and expose the treachery of them. Someone wrote with complaints like you might hear from Christians who are under the influence of this false teaching, How do you justify your argument against obeying the government when you read Romans 13, 1-7? Paul's government was more oppressive than anything we can imagine. You could be martyred for your faith under the Roman government. What was Paul's response? Did he call for government reform? Did he call for us to protest the government? Did he demand his rights and call on the government to recognize his rights? He said in the face of a brutal government to obey. He didn't say obey if your rights are recognized. He said obey. The church of today has to realize that the government is not our arena as Christians. Never in the history of the church has God used the government to bring about change. Well, the defense of submission to evil government is riddled with error and falsehoods. Let's consider a few things that the critic wrote. Number one, you could truly be martyred for your faith under the Roman government. First, the writer tells us to obey evil laws and then mentions martyrs. They would never have been martyred had they not broken the law by being Christians and defying government edicts. Number two, he asked, did Paul call for the government to reform? Did he call for us to protest the government? Did he demand his rights and call on the government to recognize his rights? The truth is, Paul did all of the above. Paul said to them, they've beaten us openly as uncondemned Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Read Acts 16:37. And finally, the zinger: the heresy that has sidelined the body of Christ in the hour when we are most needed. The critic said that the Church of today has to realize that the government is not our arena as Christians, and never in the history of the church has God used the government to bring about change. Unquote. This is totally untrue. William Wilberforce was a Christian politician in Britain. He stood on his faith in Jesus to work tirelessly in Parliament for many years to abolish slavery in England. In fact, believers throughout history have created child labor laws, health regulations, and have exposed injustice and corruption. It can't be overstated that Christians down through history are more responsible for influencing government bringing about reform by forcing laws to be changed and standing up for justice than any other social group in history. So how did this critic demonstrate how utterly wrong he was in what he wrote? He did what so many other undiscerning people continue to do. He isolated one set of verses, taking them completely out of context, and arrived at a conclusion that looks holy, but is in fact a reflection of pure and simple fear. Let's look at the verses that have been violated. It says in Romans 13, "...let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God." And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now it seems to say that we are to honor government in every form, right? Wrong. To demonstrate what Paul is saying, let's look at a sensible example. Say that some parents have to leave the house. They leave the oldest child in charge. The child is given strict instructions not to open the door for anyone except a postal messenger whom they are expecting to deliver an important package that very day. The parent tells the child he will have blonde hair, he's wearing blue jeans and a white shirt. Don't let anyone else in. So later, a man with black hair, a blue shirt, and black slacks knocks on the door, claiming to be the messenger with the package. Does the child let him in? Of course not. What characterizes God-appointed government? A lot of us, when hearing Romans 13 about submission to government, miss the most important part, the description of the ruling authority. The Bible tells us what they're wearing. Look at the description. They're not a terror to good works. Any government that terrorizes the innocent is not of God. How can you say Hitler was God's will for Germany? Hitler and other tyrants are in fact the ones being warned that God-appointed governments would destroy them. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's why the just powers of the world rose up and destroyed the Nazis. And by the way, Who is the just power that God is raising up now to destroy the modern-day Nazi tyrants? Could it be the patriots around the world who are standing up to evil dictators to defend common-sense law and order that defends the defenseless? In America, could it be those who take seriously their constitutional responsibility to be the rightful king in America? We the people... Those who obey their constitution and are willing to risk their lives to hold accountable those corrupt politicians and oligarchs who have deceived those who think they can get something for nothing by bowing to tyrants and their alluring bribes. Did you notice another glaring, important feature of God's properly delegated governing authorities? They praise good works. Authorities that are endorsed by God don't hate or oppose God-fearing, law-abiding activity, regardless whether they believe in God or not. In a civilized society, civil and peaceful citizens are the ones, even if they are not Christians themselves, who do not insult soul-winning or fight the redemptive work of God. They are the cops, the teachers, and even the politicians who are glad that children are getting out of gangs and off of drugs by following the King of Kings. Romans 13 also implores readers to be subject to authorities for the sake of conscience. When it becomes tricky is when government is a mixture of right and wrong. Jesus said of the Pharisees, So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Matthew 23, 3 Do what they say, but don't partake of their hypocrisy. Watch them for that moment when they cross the line and come between you and your God. Just as our conscience should drive us to obey the law, we should also know when our conscience tells us not to obey an evil law or not to obey a man-made law when doing so would bring shame to God or harm to your fellow humans. Just because your desire to obey the law by stopping at a stop sign is right. That doesn't mean that you should stop, especially if a fire truck is barreling down behind you and you have to continue through the intersection without stopping to get into the side lane on the other side of the intersection to get out of the way. Do you remember when Peter reached the tipping point? Speaking of those very same Pharisees, listen to what transpired. So they called them and commanded them the disciples, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered and said to them, "Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard acts four eighteen to twenty and again in acts five twenty nine Peter and the other apostles answered and said, "We ought to obey God rather than men. God not only does not endorse evil government." He will have no part in it. Shall the throne of iniquity, the unjust rulers, have fellowship with you? They who frame and hide their unrighteous doings under the sacred name of law? Psalm ninety-four twenty. There's your answer. A corrupt throne, government, cannot be allied with God. He cannot have fellowship with it. When a government creates evil laws, God has obviously been outlawed, because evil laws are the worst form of wickedness. They are damnable because they give a warped brand of societal legitimacy to evil. Matthew Henry said, Iniquity is daring enough even when human laws are against it, which often prove too weak to give an effectual check to it. But how insolent, how mischievous is it when it is backed by a law? Iniquity is not the better, but much the worse for being enacted by law. Nor will it excuse those that practice it to say that they did, but do as they were bidden. Notice how at the end, Matthew Henry says we can't use the excuse that we were just obeying the law. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. The laws and edicts being written by unrelentingly evil political puppets of global tyrants using the coronavirus as an excuse are far worse than the virus itself. Unlike the virus, new laws have a painfully long-lasting destructive impact on all of society. It is time for God's true church to wake up and take action. Constant prayer is just the beginning. Without faithful, corresponding actions of being involved in our community's official business, the insane communists just assume the victory is theirs. Voting the evildoers out of office is a clear battle requiring constant vigilance. But we've all got to quit allowing our fellow believers to get away with calling our submission to evil rulers a godly action. It's just a cowardly escape from being the salt and light that we're all called to be. Our submission as Christians to government, commanded in Romans 13, is conditional on the righteousness of our government. To deserve obedience, government must be, number one, a terror to evil works, number two, a minister of God to the citizens for their good, and number three, execute wrath upon evildoers, but never those who do good works. Got it? American Christians must also consider our unique form of our government— Unlike the Roman Empire, a military dictatorship over all local governments to which the early Christians were subject, America is the world's first constitutional republic. In this system, we are the government, and all the rights and duties of Romans 13 fall to us, both as citizens and as rulers, by delegation of our powers. The reality has been given special meaning to Romans 13 for Americans. Why? The Declaration of Independence stated that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Remember that psalm we started our program with today? Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Psalm 94, 16. The whole psalm is really a conversational prayer to God, combined with an exhortation for believers and a decree against the enemies of God. Why not make that psalm your prayer for your nation and the world? Here it is O Lord, the God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, let your glorious justice shine forth. Arise, O judge of the earth, give the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked be allowed to gloat? How long will they speak with arrogance? How long will these evil people boast? They crush your people, Lord, hurting those you claim as your own. They kill widows and foreigners and murder orphans. The Lord isn't looking, they say. And besides, the God of Israel doesn't care. Think again, you fools. When will you finally catch on? Is he deaf, the one who made your ears? Is he blind, the one who formed your eyes? He punishes the nations. Won't he also punish you? He knows everything. Doesn't he also know what you're doing? The Lord knows people's thoughts. He knows they're worthless. Joyful are those you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instructions. You give them relief from troubled times until a pit is dug to capture the wicked. The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. Judgment will again be founded on justice, and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. Who will protect me from the wicked? Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I'm slipping, but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Can unjust leaders claim that God is on their side, leaders whose decrees permit injustice? They gang up against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord is my fortress. My God is the mighty rock where I hide. God will turn the sins of evil people back on them, He will destroy them for their sins. The Lord our God will destroy them." You have one question to answer now. What are you going to do with the knowledge you have that can deliver others from the chains of deception that have kept them in bondage to evildoers? Well, for starters, you can listen to this important message again and even read it at reclaimyourlegacy.com. Then you can share it with others by sending them this link. And while you're there, click on the donate button and ship in whatever you think it's worth to help us provide godly insight to listeners like you to share with others. When we all do our own little part of what God enables us to do, that's just part of when God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is Dennis Peterson. Thanks for joining me today on Reclaiming Your Legacy.